Welcome to McCullough Christian Center's broadcast today. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.purposemcc.com. The Bible says this, verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, sir. Who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. That would be a good time to say amen. It never said preach your opinion. Has this been live streamed tonight? No, okay, I wish it was. Because there are some preachers around America right now who need to stop preaching opinion and preach the word of God. Let me listen to me very carefully. God does not back up your opinion. He backs up his word. Okay? Opinion changes nothing. This word right here changes everything. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come. Not might come. It will come. I think we're seeing this right now. When they will not endure sound doctrine. When I watch this, but according to their own desires, they, excuse me, sorry, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Do you know what that means? That means they don't want to hear the word of God anymore because it somehow offends their ears. They simply want their ears tickling instead. In other words, Jordan, don't talk to me about judgment and hell. Talk to me about something that makes my ears feel good. But herein lies the problem. I can make your ears feel good, yet you can still go to hell. It is not love telling you something that makes you feel good knowing you're on your way to hell. It is not love me condoning your sin while you're walking towards the edge of a cliff. Can you imagine the insanity of watching a man who is seemingly in the natural blind walk towards the edge of a cliff and so he says, brother, don't tell him he's blind, you might offend him. What level of insanity is that? Yet it happens across pulpits all over America every week. The Bible says it's like the blind leading the... And you say, brother, don't preach on sin, it's offensive. But friend, preaching about your sin is the only thing that will bring what the Bible calls I solve. That's why the word says they are blind and they did not know it. They'll be turned aside to fables. But you, everyone say me. Now the rest of you who ignored me the first time, you also feel free. Say me. Touch your neighbor and say you. But you, be watchful in how many things? All things. Endure afflictions. <laughs> that was just a test because everywhere I preach, no one says amen at that point. Hold on, you said amen to preach the word. You said amen about all long suffering and teaching. You said amen when you realized you weren't the one I was preaching to and I was preaching to the sinners and that made you feel real good. But none of you amen the afflictions part. But understand, you don't get the rest of it without, without the persecution as a Christian. This, this is not a buffet. It's a set menu. Just let that process. You do not get the right to pick and choose the parts of this you like. And you certainly don't get the right to pick and choose the parts you want to obey. This is not Golden Corral. You either believe all of it or you don't believe any of it. You don't get the Jesus meek and mild without the Jesus who flipped tables. You don't get that right. 
endure afflictions. Do the work of an... Now everyone say amen because you heard that last night. All right. Fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Friend, I want that to be the story of my life. When I die, I do not care for people to talk about the miracles. I didn't do them anyway. I want people to say he fought a good fight. He ran his race. But most importantly, he kept the faith till the very end. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. You close your eyes tonight. Put your hand on your heart. Will you pray this with me? Say, Jesus, speak to me today. Let your word fall on good soil and produce much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to preach a message to you tonight, excuse me, entitled this, You Must Keep Moving. You must keep moving. I would humbly ask you tonight, if you have a pen and paper, if you want to pull out your iPhone, your iPad, God bless you, sister, you came prepared. I, I really believe from my heart, not because I'm preaching this, but because this is from the Word of God. I believe this may be something that you're going to want to look back on in maybe in years to come. And this may benefit, no, sorry, not this may, this will benefit you. Because I believe it's from the Word of God. You know, McCullough Christian Center, I feel like we're, you know me enough now that I can speak personally to you tonight. Is that, can we agree to that? Like, I'm, I don't feel like a guest speaker. I feel like we know each other by now. You know, church, I believe that we are living in such an hour where we are watching people live their lives in a way today that the world has never seen before. And I don't think this has ever been as evident as in my generation. Talking about millennials and younger you know, the, the culture of today has taught my generation this. You can do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, with who you want, and there will be no consequences for it. And here is the problem with that ideology. It has created an entire culture that is sought after temporary things that will not last. But friend, I have a deeper concern. I have this fear that this same mentality has slipped into some of the church. Now listen to me carefully. You are not about to hear me be a preacher who just bashes the church and talks about how beat up and terrible and it is done for and it's a mess right now. You know those people? Brother, the church is done. No one loves Jesus anymore. There's no... Hold on, hold on. When you insult the church, you're talking about another man's wife. And if you talked about my wife that way, I would roundhouse kick you in your skull. And I'd love you after, but you'd learn your lesson. But yet we talk about the church as if there's no repercussions. And friend, that's the bride of Christ. So a little advice the next time you go bashing the church in general. Remember who you're talking about in that moment. But friend, there is also the reality that the Bible says you will know them by their fruits. So if I look at the fruits of some of the church today and what I would do in order to do that is in order to look at the modern day church, all I have to do is scroll down social media for a few of the superstar preachers and look at what is being said today and promoted as truth. So listen carefully to me. That is why today we see millennials become obsessed over how many likes they got on an Instagram post, but the satisfaction does not last. We see millennials fixate over the latest cultural trends and what is popular, but trends do not last. 
We see them go from the next guy to the next girl sleeping around, but the excitement does not. We see them go from drug to drug to get another high, but the high. We see them go from alcohol, from another bottle to another bottle, from nightclub to nightclub, but that moment does not. We see them go from job to job, from career to career, but the satisfaction. And here is my concern. This has drifted into the church. Because let me tell you what I've seen, friend. We have replaced praise with performance, and it will not last. We have replaced anointed preaching with life coaching, and it will not last. Friend, we have replaced travailing prayer with counseling sessions. It will not last. We have replaced radical holiness with temporary happiness, but it will not last. We have replaced repentance with false grace. It will not last. We have replaced His presence with smoke machines. But friend, it will not last. And here is my concern, friend. Do you know how many youth groups I preach at? Or youth conferences where there's a smoke machine. And I ask them, why do you have it? And here's the answer. We are setting an atmosphere. Can I tell you the real reason they do it, Pastor? They are doing it in order to hide something that's not actually there. It is there because what they actually want is not there. You know, friend, if this carries on in the church, we are going to be held responsible before God for building a foundation in believers that is temporary and it will not last. You see, the Word of God says there is a great falling away coming. It is inevitable. You can't stop it if you tried. The Bible says there is a great falling away. And the love of many will grow cold. Can I just give you a reality check real quick? And as an evangelist, this hurts my heart to say this. But statistically, less people will find their way to heaven than they will hell. Well, how do you know that? Because Jesus said, narrow is the way. And how many find it? Few find it. So if few find it, and Paul and now he's talking about a great falling away, that means there will be few of the few. Is that not a sobering thought? Should that not concern our hearts? But friend, here's the problem. I am not responsible for your salvation. See, for too long, you've relied on your pastor to feed you. And you wonder why the devil beats you up from Monday to Saturday. Because this man is not responsible for your salvation. That's why the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it is your job to protect something that cost Jesus his very life. Now watch this. Watch this. So then if you don't want to be one of those who falls away, what must you do? Turn to the book of Hebrews very quickly. Can I teach you a little bit tonight? Is that okay? I know evangelism is my thing, but I want to teach you the word of God tonight. Hebrews 10 verse 36. Hebrews 10 36. It says these words. For you have need of endurance. Say that with me. For you have need of endurance. Let's do that one more time. I'll say it and you say it. For you have need of endurance. You know what's amazing to me? The writer of Hebrews is talking. We, we don't know who the writer was. Some people, if it's Paul, it sounds like Paul, so let's go with Paul for the argument's sake, okay? The author of Hebrews here is explaining how you can be one who is not caught on the broad path. You're with me, right? 
This is the context of this verse. This dialogue is going on here explaining the consequences for falling away, but therefore is given an answer how as to you run your race well. And I am fascinated that the author of Hebrews never said, for you have need of the anointing. I find it fascinating that he never said, for you have need of the great ministry. The author never said, for you have need of miracles. He said, if you want to finish this thing, you have need of endurance. Now, if I was to sit down with a hundred people in a church and ask them what they thought about this, the real answer I would get if I dug for long enough would be this. I actually prefer acceleration than endurance. Because acceleration looks pleasing. How many of you have ever took notice of a vehicle driving past you at 30 miles an hour, an average looking vehicle? No one. But if a Lamborghini drove past you at 200 miles an hour, how many of you would turn and look away? Everybody. Why? Because it looks appealing. It looks captivating. Part of it looks interesting. Look how fast it's going. But here's my question. For how long? Let me connect the dots for you. It's why I'm not super impressed. When I see a ministry go from nothing to blowing up overnight and they're all over the world. Great, you're on God TV. You're on, Wonderful. But so what? So what? Everybody starts well. Watch this. Watch this. Let's go back to Paul. You remember Paul at the end of his life? Paul said, I have finished the race. He never said, I have won the race. Let me give you that again. Paul said, I have finished the race. He didn't say, I won the race. Because Paul knew this, my job is not to compete with you, my job is to co-labor with you. You know, I'm in ministries, I see fighting each other and comparing numbers. Like I was once, I, I'm not very good at social gatherings. I'm just a horrible social person. But once I was forced to go to a evangelism gathering, right? Where a bunch of evangelists got together, there was like, I don't know, I don't know how many there were. And I walked in there, and this is the dialogue I heard. Oh, brother, I've seen what God's doing in your ministry. We just saw this many people saved. Okay, wonderful. Brother, you should see what God is doing in around the world and how many people we are seeing one to Christ and how many meetings I've done this week. What are you doing? Here's what they're actually asking. I want to compare my stats against yours. And the whole time I'm thinking, well, I thought they were the Lord's decisions. And I thought that he was the one who saved them. And I thought that the Lord will equally reward you for winning one soul if you do it faithfully as he will one billion souls. Because if it's all about stats, then it means that the lady at the back of the church who's 80 years old, who only has strength enough just to pray for people in the church, are you telling me that because we do crusaders, she doesn't, somehow her reward is less? Friend, this competitive demonic thing has to die. The amount of pastors who use numbers as a barometer of success, friend, it won't last. That's why Paul was, he said, no, 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 it's not about winning the race. Can you finish the way you started? I want every person to listen to me. I am not overly concerned how much you shake on the floor today. Where will you be in 10 years? I used to get really excited when I would preach at big youth conferences and people would be plastered all over the floor. I'm like, wow, God is touching them. And listen, I want to handle this subject very delicately so don't hear what I'm not saying. I've heard it preached my whole life. Just one touch from God and you'll never be the same again. I just don't believe it. Tell that to Judas. Judas. 
Sila. You know what's interesting? Every time I preach, I go back to the hotel room and 40 new friend requests on Facebook. And I find something interesting I do just out of habit. I will look at some of the people and they're posting pictures from the event and, oh, God touched me. Wonderful. And that's not to discredit that. Getting touched by the Lord is priceless and precious. But a touch must be sustained by intimacy. Can I give you an example? My, my wife's back home right now. How do you think a marriage would go if I hugged her once a week? <laughs> Hold on, you got your touch on Monday. Why are you trying to hug me? What, what are you doing? Get away, woman. Can you imagine? How do you think your marriage would go if you told your wife once a week you loved her? But it's okay because you did it once. You got your moment. Friend, listen to me carefully. Carefully. Ca can I sit on this? Okay, I don't know if I was disrespecting something. Okay. Listen carefully. Listen. You do not add to fire by adding more fire. And if I preach this to a lot of well-known evangelists today, I would be excommunicated from the little evangelist group in the charismatic world. You do not add to fire by adding fire. The whole sermon you've heard preached, all you needed is more fire. No, 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 no. You add to fire and you sustain it by adding wood. So let me correct some demonic theology that you've heard preached before. Sustainment in the kingdom of God is not more hands being laid on you. It requires you pulling out this and doing something like this that sustains a touch of God on your life. Because friend, if you think me laying hands on you tonight will last you 10 years, you are sadly misinformed. I know it sounds good. More fire. No, 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 no. More prayer. More word. More prayer. More word. Because if you rely on my anointing to fuel your salvation, it will not last. Let me prove it to you. Show me in your Bible where the disciples, the 120, returned to the upper room. Show me. Now, some of you are going to say, Acts 4, brother. Okay, we're talking about two separate events right now. Two houses were shaken with two separate groups. Two encounters with God. Do you ever read about Peter returning to the upper room? Then how did he live? Oh, friend, it's very simple. Lord, you've touched my life. But it touched me so deeply, I'm going to do whatever I have to do for you to touch me again right here in my prayer closet. Lord, I know that what you can give me, no man can. And friends, suddenly you feel that fire in your heart beginning to dwindle and you pull out the word. And friend, it is like putting wood on that fire. Then suddenly it begins to burn in you again. For those of you looking for some another touch tonight, friend, it won't sustain you. This is why the author of Hebrews said this, you have need of endurance. And you can find it throughout the word of God all the way through. What did David say? How can a young man keep himself pure? By your word, O oh Lord. He didn't say by a touch from a minister. And friend, there's nothing wrong with this. But hear what I'm saying. This has to turn into this. Or it will not last. Are you upset with me? Okay. You know, friend, when you were saved, you were not saved to live a comfortable life. In fact, the Bible says you were enlisted into an army. Here's what the Word of God says. Watch this. 2 Timothy 2, 3-4. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits because his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. That means this. Throughout your Christian life, it is not going to be green pastures and water springs. There are going to come times in your life where your endurance is challenged. See, so write this down, friend. Write this down. I believe in my life 
and I believe this is the same with everybody, there are two great enemies of endurance. Stay two. The first enemy is this. The enemy of distraction. And the second enemy is the enemy of hardships and adversity. You know, one thing I love to do is I love to study great men and women of God who have gone before me. From those people, you can learn two things. What to do and what not to do. And what is amazing is this, Pastor. When I, I know this sounds really weird, but hear what I'm saying. I sometimes purposefully read about those great men and women of God who actually fell in ministry. I know that seems like a weird thing to do, but I do it for the purpose of this. What did they do that I should not do? And here's what I discovered. Whenever a great man, you know what I mean by falling in ministry, right? Like they had a moral failure or, you know, a public exposure. And there was something fascinating I found. None of them ever fell because their anointing ran out. Not one. None of them fell because suddenly miracles stopped happening. Or they couldn't get people to their events anymore or people weren't getting saved. No, no. One of two things always happened. They became distracted or things just got too hard and they say, I can't do this anymore. Every time. And you will read about some who turned to alcohol to cope with their depression. Some began sleeping around to try and find satisfaction. Some of them began to launder money and hide money in order to fill something in their life. Every single time, distraction or hardship. I want you to listen to me very carefully right now. Every person, please look in my eyes and listen to the words I'm about to tell you. The primary role of the devil is not to destroy you, it's to distract you. Listen. Because if he can distract you, he can certainly destroy you. A road of distraction will always lead to a road of destruction. A road of distraction will always lead to a road of destruction. But friend, I would not come here if I did not have an answer for you as how you can endure in this race. Are you ready for the answer tonight? Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 3. Can you pull that up as fast as you can? Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. This will change your life if you let it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. I see it at the back. Is there any way we can get it up there for those who didn't bring their swords to church? Okay. Don't feel bad about it, but just next time do better. Okay, here we go. My parents whooped me. If I didn't bring my Bible to church. Like I'm talking, yeah. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Okay, watch this. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that is those who have gone before, let us lay aside... Every weight, now watch this, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let me stop you there. The writer of Hebrews is setting a precedent here before he gives the answer. He is giving you the insight into the answer before he gives you the answer. So what he's saying is this. In order to be like those who have gone on before, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, knowing that one day we will also join the cloud of witnesses. Here's what we must do. We must lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Now Paul, the writer of Hebrews, has not yet brought the Lord into the equation. Have you noticed this? He has not mentioned the Lord in this. He is not mentioned assisted by the Lord. He is talking on a natural level. Here's what happens. You need to lay aside the weight of sin, but here's a problem. You can't because you are easily ensnared by it. This is the story of every life that has tried to live without the empowering strength of the Holy Ghost. 
Did that make any sense to you? Friend, take one day out of your prayer closet and watch how suddenly something that would not have affected you yesterday. I need to come down and talk to you real quick because ain't no one listening to me. Have you noticed this? The times I feel most susceptible to sin is when I've been on a plane all day and I say to the Lord, I am so tired. If I get in my prayer closet, I will just fall to sleep on the floor. Suddenly, I call it a beehive in my head, starts to churn and churn. And things that happened seven years ago, you go, where in the flying rooster did that come from? You ever had those moments? You're like, even if I tried to remember that, I couldn't know what's happening. The enemy is trying to take advantage. Friend, watch what's happening. It's a, it's a Garden of Gethsemane moment. Watch and pray. Lest what? You enter into temptation. For the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh is weak. That's why it's important to die. I'm trying so hard. If your flesh is dead, then there is no empowerment for it. You want to know how to die? Starve your flesh to death by feeding your spirit. You wonder, Jordan, I seem to fall every day. Then stop feeding your flesh. And let me come on your level real quick. I am not preaching this to you as somebody who's perfected this, but dear God, I want this so bad in my life. So bad. You give me a choice of having a crowd of five million people or pure holiness, I'll pick holiness every time. Because that crowd will destroy you without holiness. What was I saying? Timothy, go to the next one, go to the next verse, go to the next verse. Watch this. And the sin we so easily instead it and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay. Paul's got to the crescendo of the moment. Lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares you in order that you can run the race with endurance. How, Paul? Sorry, writer of Hebrews. You know the answer? Looking on to Jesus. You could go home right now and you've got everything you need to live the rest of your life. Here's what the writer was saying. There's only one way that you can be free from the sin which so easily ensnares us. There's only one thing you can do. There are not five options for this. There's one you've got. This is not a choice selection. One answer. One choice, one antidote to that sin which so easily ensnares us. It is this simple. Take your gaze off of that and look to Him. It's really hard to lust after another woman when you're looking at Jesus. It's a hard thing to go to a nightclub when you've just been in the presence of the Lord. Because there's something about his presence, Dr. Lightfoot, that seems to melt the desires I once had. I told people, Jordan, I, I've, I've put this app on my phone so I don't watch it. No, 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 you'll find another way. Well, I don't hang out with those friends anymore, so I won't. No, no, you'll find more alcohol if you really wanted it. We use all these natural barriers. And here's the problem. Your confidence is now in your limitations that you set. Which means if you set them, you can also break them. But what Paul says is this. Let me take this out of your hands. Because you're not strong enough in your best day. And you're not wise enough on your most intelligent day. And you're not rich enough on your wealthiest day. And you're not strong enough on your mightiest day to resist the power of sin. But there is one that if you would just be with him, then suddenly, why don't I have those desires anymore? Why does that thing not appeal to me anymore? Because when you're in the presence of Jesus, you see the filth of sin. 
friend, when I'm with the Lord, I literally look at things and go, how did that ever appeal to me? But watch this. When I'm tired on a plane and I get off, suddenly things begin to appeal to me that the devil will hang in front of you. What do I do, friend? You flood your heart and your mind with the things of the Lord. Flood yourself. Literally flood yourself with the word. Worship, prayer, word, worship, prayer. Well, it's boring to me. Oh, you pray long enough, friend. It won't be boring to you anymore. When you discover the nail-pierced hands of the Son of God, you'll do anything you have to do to go back after the Lord again. Suddenly you're opening your Bible that was once born to me and let me get through this daily devotional so I can see I've done it. And suddenly, oh, why is my heart now burning? Why am I reading John 3, 16 and I'm crying? Because the Jesus it talks about was just with me in my prayer closet. Friend, I've, I've had this thing over the last two or three weeks where I feel like I've met the Holy Spirit all over again. I literally don't give a flying monkeys about your opinion of the next man I'm about to mention. I love this man with all my heart. Benny Hinn once wrote a book called Good Morning Holy Spirit. And friend, it revolutionized my life. But I felt the Lord tell me, go read it again. Friend, I begin to read through this thing again. And I'm sat on plane. On, I'm sat on plane. I can do English really good. Okay, let's try this another again. I sat on plane. Yes, I did. <laughs> when I was sat on the plane, I was reading this. Listen, friend, listen. This is how real he is. I've got way off my sermon, but listen. This is how real the Lord is. I'm reading about the Holy Spirit. I get off the plane. I went and picked up a rental car. I got in the car. Some of you are going to think I've lost my mind, but I'm not here to convince you. I'm here to just tell you the story. I closed the door and I was praying in the Spirit. And I kid you not, I felt like the Lord himself came and sat in the passenger seat. And all I could say was this. I love you, Holy Spirit. Friend, he's become so real to me all over again. The literally moments of singing songs that used to bore me in church. The other day, I was out of nowhere. I was singing, majesty. Worship his majesty. And unto Jesus be glory, honor, and praise. Now why that song? Because I used to hate that song in school. But I began to sing in front. I felt the Holy Ghost. I felt the Lord just come and wrap around me. And I had this moment that you're going to think sounds really trivial. But I said, oh God, you live in me. Think about that. Clay vessels marred by sin, but washed in the blood. And you have something that angels do not where they fear to tread. His reality. He's looking for friends. He's looking for people that will make it all about him. You want to know how you get free from sin? Fall deeply in love with Jesus. You want to know how to run this race with endurance? Make it about the one at the finish line, not about the accolades you get along the way. I'll share a quick story with you and then I'm done. I've not even got halfway through this. You guys saw the video last night of when I was preaching in Pakistan. Let me tell you the story about the 24 hours leading up to it. That one, that one crusade you saw. In fact, the day of the crusade. I remember in the daytime I was with the Lord. I tried to spend as much time as I could in the presence of God. 
about four o'clock, three, four o'clock. They said, John, we need to leave for the crusade and it was a four hour drive. So three o'clock we set off, seven o'clock. We get to the general area where the crusade was. They had me wait for an hour for security reasons, whatever, eight o'clock. Then they did worship, nine o'clock. About 9.30, I got the microphone and stood up to preach. And as I shared with you, we saw the dead raised. I saw tumors fall off people. I saw that, that man, remember the man, the first testimony last night? What I failed to mention in the testimony, I, I guess I got some of it wrong, was his brother actually carried him because he couldn't even move. He was paralyzed. And as you saw, God straightened up that man and he ran up and down the platform. That tumor fell off. Miracles. In addition to that, 64,923 Muslims and Hindus give their lives to Jesus. You would think this is the crescendo of being intimate with the Lord. Here's what was crazy. The crusade finished about 1 a.m. We then started to make our way back to the hotel where I was staying, which as I told you took four hours. I get back to the hotel at 5 a.m. I have to be up to preach at 7 a.m. Now watch this. 5 a.m. I go to bed. I really, if I was super spiritual, I'd have just not gone to bed at all and tried to pray through, but I, was, I couldn't do it. So I got up at 6 o'clock, tried to pray for an hour. The reality is in that hour I fell back asleep. I was so tired. I got up to a pulpit having prayed for maybe 13, 14, 15 minutes if I'm doing good. Preached on that pulpit, people got saved, went back to my hotel room, and friend, listen to me. I have never felt more distant from the Lord in my life. Now, firstly, some of you think, well, Jordan, this is ministry suicide. This is not the way to, no, no, no. I'm trying to teach you a lesson. Some of you are thinking, well, Jordan, that's nonsense. You have just preached the gospel in a foreign nation to Muslims and Hindus. 64,000 and something get saved. You've just seen the dead rate. But friend, let me be the one to tell you, none of those things will sustain your relationship with God. None of them. You know, I used to spend about 90% of my time, Pastor, in my prayer closet, crying out for stadiums to be filled and wondering why I felt distant from the Lord. Then I saw stadiums filled. I went to Columbia, saw a stadium packed, preached there. Stood in front of, at that crusade, there was actually close to 120,000 there. Yet, I felt absolutely miles away from God. Worshipped, couldn't feel His presence. Opened my Bible, couldn't feel His presence. Why? Because time away from the Lord does that to you, friend. Even while serving Him, you can be far from Him. Even while serving Him. You can be far from him. Just ask Judas. Friend, my prayer tonight is that you get touched. It is. But more than that, my prayer is this. That touch will turn into a lifetime of touches from the Lord in your prayer closet. What good is it tonight if you get touched and you go to hell? You're telling me I can get touched by God and still go? Oh, absolutely. 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 Jesus said, many will come to me on that day saying, Lord, Lord, did we not do many mighty works in your name? Did we not cast out devils and prophesy? Well, firstly, I was the one who did that through you. But secondly, I didn't know you. You know what would be an interesting question, Pastor? If I could get every preacher in America in one room, I'd like to ask him a question. What would you have left if your ministry died tomorrow? I want you to think about that right now, every person. What would you have left if you could never preach again? Never pray for the sick again? Never stand in a pulpit again? What would you have left? Let me take it further. If your family was taken from you tomorrow, what would you have left? If your business was taken from you, what have you got left? 
Now, some of you might say, oh, I've got the Lord, but I'm talking like literally if all those things happened. I know you know the knowledge behind you've still got him because he'll never leave you off. Okay, but, but do you know him? If you were imprisoned in a dark room for the rest of your life, could you still have joy unspeakable and full of glory? Could you still have peace that passes understanding? There was a story of a missionary once who was captured and he was tortured for his faith. He was imprisoned and I believe that this went on for multiple years, beaten, tortured, he was in a cold climate, so they would take him out in the snow. They would strip him naked. They would dig a hole, and they would make him sit out in that hole for hours on end. These were cold conditions that would freeze a man to death. Years, this went on for. Afflicted in his body. Broken. Bruised. Beyond suffering that anyone in this room has gone through. And finally, I forget how the story went, but I know he got free. And he came back and he became a preacher. Sorry, he carried on preaching. And somebody asked him once, aren't you glad that God rescued you from that horrific season of your life? And here was his response. Actually, sometimes I'd miss it. Because those were the years I knew the touch of God. Because when you've got nothing left, friend, you'll soon discover how much he means to you. This is why David could say, cast me not away from your presence. And take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Stop, hold on, hold on. David knew this. Take the throne. Take the kingdom, but do not take his presence from me. This is why people like Catherine Coleman would say this. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He's all I have. Friend, I was asked on an interview not long ago, what do you want most in life? And this is my answer. I want to be a friend of God. I am at the stage in my life, I tell you as my witness before God and even with board members here tonight, if I never preach a crusade again, I am okay with that. I want him really, really, really bad. I want to be someone that the Lord can trust. That he can confide in. Someone who when he comes to me, he knows he'll be ministered to and not just peppered with the quests. I want to make him happy. I want to put a smile on the face of Jesus. See, God has a way of changing your priorities, friend. All I ever wanted in life was packed stadiums and crusades. I'll do those things till I die, but not before I know I've made the Lord happy. You want to know how to run with endurance? You want to know how you keep moving in this race? Looking unto him. The author and the finisher of our faith. Will you stand to your feet? I'll preach the other half of the sermon to you another time. In fact, let me give you the synopsis for it. I was about to preach you how to get through hardships and adversity. I, the answer hasn't changed. Looking unto Jesus. Can you come help me real quick on the keys here? Can you just close your eyes and lift your hands to Jesus? Is that go help out? You know, the Lord says something incredible. Not only incredible, but very sobering. In the book of Revelation, I believe it's chapter 2. 
I believe it is. Just begin to play softly. In Revelation 2, the Lord comes to the church. And he talks about all the wonderful things they're doing. But listen to this. Keep your eyes closed. Just listen to this. He comes to the church at Ephesus. Keep your eyes closed, lift your hand, and just listen to these words. Hear this for yourself, not just from a book. Hear this. I know your works. I know you've labored. I'm paraphrasing now. I know you've been patient. And you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not and you have found them to be liars, and you've persevered, you've had patience, you've labored for my namesake, and you have not become weary. But Ephesus, there's something I need to address. Now your Bible will say this, you have left your first love. But if you looked at an actual closer translation, here's what the Bible says. You do not love me the way you used to to love me now watch this God was not saying you don't love me he just said this the temperature of the flame in your heart is not what it used to be I know you don't remember those days very clearly when you would run to the break room at work because you felt his presence and you would cry but the Lord does remember that and I know it's a distant memory from when you were a young enthusiastic convert who couldn't help but preach the gospel but now oh I know you've matured and you've moved past that no Jesus would call that the flame in your heart being dimmed Because the closer you get to the Savior, the more you're concerned with what moves the heart of the Savior. And it's His will that none should perish. I know you don't remember very well the days when you bought the Bible in every translation you could find because you wanted every ounce of it you could get. But now it's okay. You've been saved for 40 years, and after all, I know the Scriptures. But friend, there was something about your childlike hunger that Jesus misses. There was an awe and a wonder when you'd see miracles, and now it doesn't move you at all. There was a moment when you would hear the Gospel being preached, and you would say, Oh, it still moves me. But brother, I, I've known John 3.16 for years. Then what happened to you? There used to be a time in your life where it didn't matter what song was on the screen. You would worship until you poured with sweat. But now... You're a professional critique artist. And after all, I'm not going to worship to this song because this is not my favorite. Well, friend, if you haven't noticed, we're not singing to you. I know it seems a distant memory from those days where you could not help but talk with the precious Holy Spirit and he was so real to you and he was your closest friend you remember the day you were baptized with the Holy Spirit and all you wanted to know the next morning was that those tongues were still there and you hadn't lost it now you don't speak in tongues at all
I know it seems like a distant memory. But there was a day that your floor was covered in tears. Now it's covered in dust because you don't kneel before the Lord anymore. Do you remember what it was like, friend? When He was your everything. When you could not wait for your family to go to bed at night so it was just you and Him. And you'd get up early in the morning before your family because, oh, He's waiting for me. That childlike excitement in your heart is not immaturity. It's love. And Jesus misses that about you. I want to show you something you might never have seen before. You remember when the disciples stopped the children coming to Jesus and Jesus said, no, no, let the children come to me. That was a prophetic picture, friend. That there is something about those who are childlike that God can receive them. But it is interesting to me, he never said, let the adults come to me. the Son of God who hung on a cross for you. Nails in His hands and in His feet. The flesh ripped from His back from being flogged. The crown of thorns in His brow and oh, He was all you ever wanted. But now He's an extracurricular activity. Once you've built your business empire, and now you're too tired to spend time with the Lord because after all, you're building your business. Will you close your eyes tonight? I really picture this service ending in the fire of God just blasting you all in. but that's not what the Lord wants to do. Many of you, there's tears rolling down your cheeks right now. And that's because of what I'm saying is real. So here's what I'm going to do. And this is going to require incredible humility and vulnerability from you. If you said, Jordan, there was a day that I can remember where the flame of love in my heart burned brighter than it does now. Because the reality is, Jordan, I don't love him the way I used to. My Bible doesn't interest me anymore. I read it just because I can take it off. And my prayer closet is more of a panic room than a room of intimacy. Meaning you run there where you need him and then you dispose of him again. You know what the world calls that? Prostitution. You get your fix and then you're done and you disregard. And this was the whole story of Hosea and Goma. Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. And she's going to cheat on you, but you're going to love her anyway. Lord, why would you ask me to do that? Because that's exactly what you do, Hosea. And that is what Israel does. You come to me when you need me. I bail you out and then you go and sleep with the world again. See, some of you need to stop trying to date God. You need to start marrying Him. Some of you have made Him a weekend fling. Like the Son of God is some cheap item you get to use and then when you don't need Him or it's not suitable because your sin doesn't feel good while God's convicting you, you disregard the Son of God. Some of you only want to get engaged to Him. Lord, I promise one day I will marry you. Here's a worship set. Take that as an engagement ring. But you haven't sealed the deal. Because you've not really made your decision if you want him entirely. Because you know it will cost you your sin that you really enjoy. 
problem when that is this. He's either your bridegroom or he's not. He isn't going to date you and he's not going to be engaged to you. You either give him everything or you better stop playing games. That's why God is so black and white, friend. And what I'm about to tell you is going to shock you and I hope it does. If tonight you are not going to go and serve the Lord, go and party in the world. Go ahead, go do it. Say, John, you're in advantage. Why would you say that? Because Jesus said this, I would rather you pick, be hot or be cold, but don't stand in the middle. It makes me sick. You've not heard that side of Jesus. If you don't want to yield to the Lord tonight, go ahead, do what you want to do, but you'll soon figure out you are broken and empty. And He'll still be waiting for you.